I'm sure that you all have, have heard about the farmer and his wife who were uh, an elderly couple. Uh, they're out, you know, by their pig pen. They're leaning up against the fence, looking over in the pigs. And the wife says, uh, you know, uh, honey, this next week is our 50th wedding anniversary. And he didn't say anything. And she said, I'm so excited about it. We've been married 50 years. And she said, let's have a party. Let's kill one of the pigs. And the farmer thought about it for a minute and he says, uh, I don't see why the pig should have to take the blame for something that happened 50 years ago. <laughs> uh, you know, marriage, uh, we're going to talk about marriage today, and marriage is a, a, something of a, of a minefield. Uh, and no matter what I say today, there's going to be some of you that aren't going to like it, some of you are going to love it, and, but anyway, uh, be patient, listen carefully, it'll help you if you do, um, because it is difficult. Marriage can be a minefield, as I said, and a lot of the misconceptions that surround marriage, uh, both from the culture and from different religions, uh, only exacerbate and make the problem uh, worse. And so... We're going to look at a few things today. Uh, last week, I told you that the cross is both excruciatingly beastly. The cross is a horrific thing to think about in all of its range of the, the actual physical uh, torture that the cross represents, but also why it was necessary. The fact that we as sinners have broken our relationship with God and to mend that Jesus Christ had to undergo unjust suffering on our behalf to pay for our sins, to atone for our sins. But the cross is also exquisitely beautiful because it actually repairs a relationship that would otherwise be impossible to repair. And the cross is the only thing that I know of, and I believe you will agree, that can defeat the sin of self-protection. You see... Underneath all the other sins that we, you know, we can pat ourselves in the back as Christians say, you know, I don't do any of those notorious sins, but everyone is guilty of the sin of self-protection, which we could also call idolatry. It is putting self before anything and everything else, including God. Self-protection, selfishness is the sin beneath all sins. And you can't fix self-protection or self-centeredness or selfishness, you can't fix it by modifying your behavior, by simple behavior modification. can't do it. It has to be put to death. It has to be killed. And the cross represents that killing. And then the process of putting off the old man, the old habits that we grew up with and our own selfishness, a lifetime of putting off selfishness and clothing ourselves with the unselfishness and righteousness of Christ, and in addition to that, suffering, often unjustly. So we're going to look at these three things as they relate to marriage. We've already talked about them in past weeks. In the civil arena, Peter's giving some principles that will apply to your civil life in society, your life within uh, your workplace. He talks to slaves and people that are working for other people in different, in different ways. And then he's now talking about marriage. And so he takes these three spheres of our existence, and if you think about it, it pretty much covers everything. 
And he's talking about how to live within those. He's not giving us rules. He's giving us principles. And principles are harder to keep than rules. And we'll talk a little bit about that, hopefully. So we're going to do three things this morning. First of all, we're going to identify the minds. Then we're going to look for the way through. And some of you military guys know what I'm talking about. There's, there's a minefield. You've got to find out where they are. Then they mark them. They mark them in different ways. Sometimes uh, put little flags or whatever. This is what I understand. And uh, then you have to have, have some way through, a path, a way through. And so we'll look at those three things. The scripture's in your bulletin. It's uh, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. It's printed in there for your convenience. Or if you have a Bible, uh, you can look at that. But now listen and hear the word of God, and we'll read these few verses together. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands." As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, we're going to identify the minds, and I may not get them all, but I'm going to, I'm going to pick out four that I think are troublesome, uh, and uh, talk about the way through, and then finally we'll look at the one who leads the way for us uh, through this uh, sometimes difficult subject of marriage and submission. So there's four things that I think the Apostle Peter brings up that are particularly troubling. One is... Uh, the idea of submission. You see this in verse 1 and verse 5. He talks about submission. He uses the word hupotasso. And what that word means in Greek is submission. It means to be obedient, to be subject to, to follow the orders of or the direction of another person. Okay? Uh, and to, uh, to do it uh, whether you like it or not. It's a military term, and some of you, again, we have many military in our community and here in the church, you know, sometimes you're ordered to do things you're not sure about or you have to do them, and I mean, we, we follow orders, that's how uh, we're supposed to relate to this. Hupatasso, it's a very interesting word. That's mind number one. Second one is what I'm going to call spiritual temperature. Spiritual temperature. When I do premarital counseling, one of the first things I look for in a couple who are asking to be married is what I call their spiritual temperature. Not how much they know about the Bible, but what is the temperature. One of them may know a lot more than the other. One of them may really know lots of theology and scriptures and all this, or be much more mature Christian than the other person. But what is their temperature with respect to God and His Word and His life? And if that temperature is the same, that spiritual temperature, then there's a, green, there's a green light there. If it's not, there's a red light, or at least a yellow, a caution. And I try to probe that and find out what's going on. 
spiritual temperature. This is in the second part of verse 1 and verse 2. Even if they don't obey the words, in other, in another, the word, in other words, what Peter is saying is, uh, not only wives, not only are you going to have to submit, but you may be married to someone who doesn't share your beliefs. May be a different spiritual temperature than you. They may even be a pagan. They may actually not believe in Christianity at all. It's on a continuum. It could be anywhere from, yes, they have the same spiritual temperature as you, all the way to where they absolutely oppose your Christianity and they're going to fight you all the way. You got it? Continuum. So submission, spiritual temperature. The third mind that I think is uh, in this passage is in verse 3. And this is to frump or not to frump. Do you know what that is? To frump or not to frump. Hair, jewelry, clothing, you know, your appearance. And women read this and men read this and people read this and think, well, okay, he's telling ladies they can't wear jewelry, they can't wear nice clothing, they've got to be drab and unattractive and and, uh, don't fix your hair, just come with the bed head, whatever's going on, you know, you let it go. And it can be very, very difficult Uh, And you've seen this in church history and even in world history. We have everything from people that are dressed with very little clothing all the way to a burqa. Yes? Everything. And you realize it hasn't solved anything on either ends of those extremes. In Afghanistan, if a woman shows she's in a full burqa and she shows her ankle, she gets beaten. Right? So it doesn't solve anything the amount of clothing or the type of drabness. That's not what Peter's talking about, but it is a landmine. Because you've seen people in the church say, oh, what we need to do is go back to the first century and dress like them, or go back to the Victorian age and dress like them, or go back to this and dress like them. Or if you're in America uh, you, and you go to a, a women's conference, they'll, they'll show you pictures. In fact, one of the Bible studies Marty V led a few years ago for some of our ladies in the church had pictures in it of how women should dress. And my wife was very offended because it's not a style that she particularly likes. And she dresses better than all of you, (laughs) including some of you guys. (laughs) All right. To frump or not to frump. What does that mean? Okay, we're going to talk about that. And then the last one, I'm only going to talk about these four. The last one is... Verses 4 to 6, to mouse or not to mouse. To frump or not to frump, to mouse or not to mouse. What is this business weaker? What is weaker vessel? What does that mean? Weaker vessel. Gentle, quiet, calling your husband Lord. Yeah, right. That's going to happen. What is going on? Is Peter saying women are supposed to be unattractive, unassertive, timid, have a lack of self-confidence, a shrinking violet, or some definition, and God help us to figure that one out, some definition of ladylike, feminine. Is he trying to do that? These are serious issues. And it's a stumbling block for people has been for millennia, for, for ages. And I know that women struggle with this, and I know that men struggle with it as well, because we're on the receiving end of a lot of this. And so, you know, men have said, well, in order to, to, to keep women from driving us mad and wild, they've got to cover their bodies from head to foot. Because we're so out of control. 
Well, that's not what Peter's talking about at all. Listen to what Karen Job's excellent New Testament scholar says about this. How short-sighted it is to use this passage as if it were a marriage manual simply addressing the relationship between husbands and wives. And how ironic is it that the words that first century slaves, listen, how ironic it is that the, the words that first century slaves and wives would have read as affirming and empowering are criticized by some today as enslaving or oppressive. When read within its original historical setting, these verses become a call, listen, to social transformation within the Christian community, allowing it to become an alternative society based on God's redemptive plan. What he's talking about is that in your cultural situation, dress may change, adornment may change, but what we're going to propose, Peter is saying, is an alternate society. So that through the ages, whether women are dressed in burkas or miniskirts, whether men have uh, uh, crew cuts or longer hair, no matter what the fashions are of the day, that you as Christian believers are going to be able to navigate through those waters with integrity. He's not giving a marriage manual. Neither was Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 giving a marriage manual. It would have had to be much thicker than that. It would have had to be like this thick and about 20 volumes. Right? He's not giving enough information anywhere in the Bible for a marriage manual. And yet Christians have tried to go back and find that ideal moment or that ideal culture or that ideal fashion statement or that ideal look and reproduce it first century, second century, even before the church. Try to find it, identify it, and then conform to that as if that's what he's doing. And he's not doing that. So what is the way through? Well, I'm going to give you a key. There's a key here that just should, should be going like this, flashing lights. Look at the passage, 1 through 7, look at it. Go ahead, just look down at it. Just glance it over, give you a second. There's a key, it's right there in front, it jumps out at you. I'll give you a chance. Raise your hand if you want to answer what the key is to this seven verses. Anybody want to take a shot? I promised Monty V I wouldn't do this again, but I'm I'm breaking my rule. Go ahead. No. (laughs) Wrong. Nice try, though. Anybody else? Yes, Ramey. Nope. Wrong. Go ahead, Danielle. What? And? And where else do you see that word? You're missing, you only have half the key. Ta-da! You get the prize. You're my favorite theologian, by the way. You know that. Okay. Likewise, look at your text, folks. Likewise, verse 1, likewise wives. Verse 7, likewise husbands. What does likewise mean? What is he referring to? 
He's referring to these other verses he just spoke and said, you are, be, you are to be prepared to enter into society, both men and women, likewise, in the same way, be humble, be submissive, be gentle, be kind, be quiet, be, you know, be Christ-like, both of you. And here's how it gets worked out in your marriage. Do you see it? If you don't see it, there's no point going on. Do all of you see it? Likewise, wives, here's how you show your submission to Christ and the godly life. Here's how you do it. And then right there in front of your eyes, another flag goes up. Likewise, husbands, here's how you are to show your Christ-likeness to the world. And to your wife. Likewise, likewise. Same thing. He's not saying, listen to me folks, he is not saying husband, wives are the only ones to submit. That is ridiculous. He just finished saying in a whole number of verses that we are all to be submissive. Male and female, yes? Did you forget? Read verses 11 through 20 again when you get home. Don't talk to your wife about it yet. Go read it, men. Go read it, ladies. And see what he's saying. What is the context? He's telling us this is the godly life. This is what it means to be like Christ. Mutual respect. Mutual submission. Mutual gentleness. Mutual quietness. All of those things, likewise, you are to do in your marriage. And here's how it's going to work out. Here's how it's going to fall out principially and in a way that you can take it and apply it to your cultural moment no matter where you live, no matter how many thousands of years after Peter or after Jesus or after whatever, you're going to be able to find your place there and do it right. And it's not going to be about fashion. It's not going to be about makeup and hair. It's going to be what Ramey said. It's going to be something deeper underneath the surface. And if you don't get that, then all you're going to do is spend your time on Facebook criticizing everybody and everything except you. That's all it becomes. It becomes a total evil and unproductive way of of being a Christian. And so today, look, there's a hundred of us here, so all I care about is that you all get this and start practicing it in your life because people will see a difference in you. They will see a difference. That it's about what's inside your heart. The key is likewise. Verse 1, likewise wives, likewise husbands. Look back, 18 through 20, he talks to slaves. Be prepared to suffer unjustly. Both husbands and wives may have to suffer unjustly. You men may actually have to sacrifice a little bit for your wife. Poor you, boo-hoo. And you know, wives, quit all the crybaby stuff and stand up and be a woman. Boo-hoo for you too. Now I'm in real trouble. It goes both ways, folks. And if you don't get that, you're always going to be going at it like this in your relationships. Always, always, always. And I know because Marty V and I can fight better than any of you. And we have. We've got in a long many years, almost 40 now. So I know what it is to be in that kind of conflict. 
I also know what it is to find the beauty of Jesus Christ and His holiness and start to work it into my life. And Mighty V as well, working it down, massaging it down into the tissue, our spiritual tissue. And it takes a lifetime. Don't expect it to change in one moment. It's going to take forever more. But it's worth it. Because at the end, you're displaying the glory of God to the world and to your spouse. Okay, so the way through is to understand that Peter is, is not saying, wives submit, husbands do this. He's not giving rules. He's saying, likewise, both of you be this way. And here's how it's going to play out. Here's how it's going to look. Listen carefully. For women... I'm going to talk to you ladies for a moment. Please be patient and be kind to me because I, I know that I'm in dangerous territory. You know, you, you, you probably heard about the, um, the couple that went in for marriage counseling. And they're in the marriage counseling for, I don't know, weeks, months, getting marriage counseling. And the counselor's listening very quickly, asking good questions and getting good answers. And finally, he kind of figures out what's wrong with this couple. So he gets up. And he goes over to the wife and he tells her to stand up and he gives her a big hug, really embraces her and hugs her deeply. And then he turns to his husband, her husband and he says, look, this is what she needs at least once a day. And the guy looks at his watch and he says, what time would you like me to have her here tomorrow? <laughs> oh, all right. Look, authentic women, what, what Peter is telling you is, what is authentic femininity? What is that? How do you work that into your life? And what he says it is, is it's being submissive. Being willing, listen carefully now, being willing to forego your rights for the rights of another who happens to be your husband. Now, if we hit any other time or day or context, if I told you all, Christians here in this room, you are to submit yourself to others and suffer unjustly, even, even if it costs you something, Jesus has called you to suffering, everybody would say amen. Yes? No? Everybody would say, you'd have to because the Bible tells you to do that, right? We don't have a problem with that. But say to your husband, add those words, and all of a sudden, everything, all the screws come loose, and we go insane. He's saying that authentic femininity is directly facing and attacking the tendency of self to be self-protective, to be selfish, to be self-centered. And he's saying, women, look, here's how you do it. Submit to your husbands, even if it's not right sometimes. Give way and do it with a gentle and quiet spirit. Do it with, with respect, with reverence, with honor. In other words, do what Paul said in another place where he said, honor the other better than yourselves. Now, he wasn't talking about marriage, was he? If you know your New Testament, Paul was telling the church, in the church and in the world even, honor the other better than yourself. But all we have to do to make ourselves crazy is add spouse into that sentence. Honor your spouse better than yourself. Oh, I can't do that. Why? Well, they'll take advantage of me. Blah, 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 blah. 
right? Off we go. Well, don't other people take advantage of you? Yes, that's part of being a Christian. I've been telling you that for weeks. Now look, there are other churches in El Paso and you're all welcome to go there. Well, they would tell you you don't need to suffer. God's got everything's good for you. It's all coming up roses. It's all glorious. It's all good. He wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. He wants you to have plenty of money. He wants you to be perfect. He wants you to on and on and on about how great it is. No such thing as suffering. And we're not sure what the cross is all about, but no such thing as suffering. No such thing as lack. You can have it all. You can have your best life right now. All your streets can be paved with gold right now. You don't have to wait for heaven. Plenty of churches like that. Help yourself. Because what you're going to find is it overpromises and underperforms. And at the end of the day, when it doesn't work out for you, who are you going to blame? You're going to end up blaming yourself and condemning yourself. But there's not a day in any Christian's life that has ever lived who has suffered unjustly for the sake of Jesus Christ and His cross, who has ever gotten to heaven and saying, wow, I wish I hadn't have done that. Because when they get there, they see a man and are greeted by a man who has prints of the nails in his hands and his feet and his head torn from the thorns and his side, a gash in his side, welcoming them into His kingdom and saying to them, well done, good and faithful servant. That's Christianity. Will you suffer? Will you put your your rights aside for the sake of another, even your spouse? That's what he's saying. Listen again to what uh, 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 a commentator said about, about this. When submission, ladies, listen. When submission becomes the central issue, the Christian marriage has already been distorted. If you make submission the issue, it's already distorted because that's not what it's about. I believe in a wife submitting to her husband. But I don't believe, this is a man, a scholar, a well-known evangelical who's saying this. If I said his name, you'd all know who he is. I believe in a wife submitting to her husband, but I don't believe he ever has the right to demand it. My responsibility as a husband is to be worthy of her submission. Dennis Rainey, the head of Family Life, said it's crazy for a woman to submit to a a man who's not fully submitted to Christ. It'd be irrational because you're going to get abused. Peter's saying you might get abused. He's saying it's okay. You can take some of that. Why are we afraid? I'll tell you why. And it's because of the problem of abuse. And I'll talk about that in just a second. Submission is powerful, not only in the life of women, it is powerful in the life of men as well. When you turn the other cheek, when you find strength in weakness, Paul said it, Jesus said it, over and over again they preached this, they said we are to be the salt of the earth. We are to turn the other cheek. We are to take off our, if they want our coat, we give them our cloak also. If they want us to go a mile, we're to go too. We are to go all in for people because it's for their sake that we have been left here in the first place. When you got saved, you could have just gone zoom up to heaven and that would have been it. He left us here for a purpose. Part of that purpose, folks, is to knock off all the rough edges in our own life, but another part is to help others. How did you get here? How did you get in this room today? Somebody brought you somewhere, sometime in your life. 
Even if you were raised in a perfect, we've got some wonderful families who are raising their children in the Lord, in the nurture of the Lord. But kids, even you have to be thankful that God, thank God for my parents, they brought me to church every day. Wow. Somebody brought you. All right. Submission is powerful. Weakness is strength in Christianity. It's counterintuitive. The proverb says a soft answer turns away wrath. Who can do that? We can. We must. Especially now. Our cultural moment is getting more difficult and we've got to be able to do it. What about spiritual temperature? That's submission, spiritual temperature. What Peter is saying, listen carefully, it's in the text. He's saying that this is a form of evangelism rather than nagging, trying to nag your husband into the kingdom of God or to be more of the head of the house or to be more of this or more of this. I'm sure that some of you men have, I'm sure no wives here today that are like that, but I've met them. Have you met them? They're nagging their husbands into the kingdom of God. None of you ladies are like that. Christ the King, we don't have any women like that. But there are in other churches. They're out there. You can't nag someone into the kingdom of God. And so Peter is saying, this is, a way, this is the way of evangelism. They may not obey the word, but they could be one without a word. You see what he's saying? They, they may not listen to your words, but they will not be able to deny your actions. Holy, gentle, quiet, Lord. Lord is just an expression of, of respect. doesn't mean, uh, I, I have no chance of getting Madhavi to call me Lord. It's just not. As much as I would like it. It's just a way that you showed respect in that time. How would you do that now? Well, you'd say, you'd use some other endearment or some other kind word. A kind word. A respectful word. You know, it's like, it, it, it's, it's like the, the couple that got married, you know, and, the, and the, the guy is so in love with his wife, he's, oh, I can't believe I love her so much, you know. So the first day after they're married... He cooks her a poached egg and toast and everything, brings it to her, and she says, I don't like my eggs poached. I want them scrambled. Next day, he brings her a scrambled egg, and she says to him, do you think that I don't like variety? What's wrong with you? So he doesn't know what to do, but you know, it's the freshly married. Third day, he brings her one poached egg, one scrambled egg. You know what she says to him? You scrambled the wrong one. Communication of respect and love and honor, honoring your husband, ladies, showing him respect, doing it sometimes when he doesn't deserve it, even then, is a way to evangelize his heart, a way to share the gospel uh, with his heart. To frump or not to frump, let's get to this real quickly. True beauty, are you going to use beauty and adornment as a manipulation, as a deception, as a way to control? Or are you going to look at something deeper? It's not in any way, is Peter saying, do not adorn. In fact, he says, do adorn. But he says, do it this way. This is how you're to adorn. Don't let your adorning, he says, don't let your adorning be external, but let your adorning be this. 
He's not talking about don't be beautiful, be plain, be unattractive, don't comb your hair, don't wear lipstick. He is not doing any of that. If he wanted to, he could have added a few sentences and done that. He is going right to the heart, as Ramey correctly said a moment ago. He's saying, look inside. Then you will not be tempted to use your attractiveness, your makeup, your jewelry, because that's what the people of the ancient world do. And folks, that is what happens today. Look at our world. It is consumed with the external only. Yes? How you look. What, what's the label on your jeans? You know, my, my, Ray, Ray's here, and Ray can tell you, my uncle who just passed away, they, they did jeans for years, and they can tell you that all those jeans are made in one building. And then they have stacks of labels, and they just put the labels on the different... And this one gets sold at Sam's for $12, and this one over here gets sold at, at uh, Neiman Marcus for uh, $225. Same pant. Now I am wearing Wranglers. Which is the, what you should wear. <laughs> Alright, never mind. Let's move on. He's not saying don't adorn. He's saying adorn. But don't let it be external only. Don't let, it just, don't let that define who you are. Let the inner woman, the inner beauty, the quiet, the simple, the, 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 this thing that is very precious in God's eyes, he's saying that is what... You want to make sure that's being done. And then everything else can fall into place, wherever your cultural moment is. That way, if you're, wearing, if you're living in Manhattan or you're living in Afghanistan, you can still be a Christian woman and have this internal beauty. Do you see it? All right. What about the weaker vessel? To mouse or not to mouse? He's saying no. He says no. You don't mouse and you don't mouse. What you do is you find your identity in Christ. Physical weakness, he's, he's a saying, physically, women are weaker than a man. Now, that's not always true because you can go to Scott's gym and there are girls there that can lift way more than any of you guys. Any of you. It's frightening. But I'm telling you, there is in reality the fact that women are generally weaker and that men can control women just by sheer force and brutality. Tyranny. What commentators call intimidation, anger, rage. And it can extend even to violence. If you've been to marital counseling, like Madi V and I have been to marital counseling, and it, it dawned on me finally that you, you don't have to slap your wife to be abusing her. All you have to do is be speaking harshly. And if you happen to lift your hand and start going like this, all you're doing is hitting her without actually making contact. Do you understand that, men? If you're raging at your wife in anger and using your words to beat her down and doing like this, you're just beating her up physically but without actually touching her. It's on a continuum. And Peter is saying that women are uh, vulnerable and that we're not ever to take advantage of that. In fact, some commentators say he's actually making uh, a, a, an actual case against uh, abuse by the men. So what about uh, the men? Let's finish up with this. What is true masculinity? 
And here's what it is, men. Now, you listen to me because I'm going to be very blunt with you. Peter, by the way, gives six verses to the women and one verse to the men. And we see that, oh my goodness, he's got a lot to say to the women and less to the men. Oh no, you just haven't read verse 7. It's like with the women, he's being very kind, he's taking his time, he's explaining everything very well, and then he comes to the men and he gets out a baseball bat and just smacks them upside the head. That's what he's doing. And he threatens them. He said, if you don't do this, your prayers are not going to be answered. God's going to close his ears to you. Now that's a threat, men. Unanswered prayer is the result of abusing our wives. Listen to what one uh, scholar, De Silva, said about the Greco-Roman world. Even the Greco-Roman statutes of law did not, did not sanction spousal abuse of any kind. Even in Greco-Roman times, it was illegal to abuse your spouse verbally, psychologically, or physically. You couldn't do it. Peter prohibits domestic violence of any form. At the same time, he stunningly addresses the cultural attitudes that women of that day, of Greco-Roman and the Hebrew world, that women were inferior. He says, no, they're not inferior. In fact, they're co-heirs with you. And this is why you're to live with them in an understanding and gentle way. Do you see it? He's saying, here is how the submission to Christ gets worked out in our lives. The way that you men, the way that we men attack our self-righteousness, our selfishness, our self-protection is by being patient and kind and gentle and understanding. Is it easy? No, it's not. It's hard. Because we are built differently. We go to war, you know. We're warriors at heart. We want to win those battles. We've got to conquer territory but not in our homes. In our homes, and we leave a lot of dead bodies around when we do that. Children and spouses. He stunningly addresses the cultural attitude of inferiority by women by pointing to them as co-heirs. It's revolution. It was unheard of. It would have shocked every reader. What he's looking at is he's wanting both husbands and wives. Let me close with this. He's wanting husbands and wives both to pursue not ladylikeness or macho man or any of that. He's wanting both husbands and wives, males and females, spouses, to pursue Christ-likeness. Look like Him. Jesus was the perfect example, men, of a real man. Power, raw, complete, sovereign power to where all he would have had to do is bat one little eyelash and the world would have just been consumed in a ball of fire. And instead, instead he says, not my will, but your will be done. How dare we? How dare we ever speak to our wives in a harsh or angry way? I've done it. I'm ashamed to say it, but How dare we? When our God, our King says, not my will, but your will be done. Me for you. How do we do that? How do we do that, ladies? How do we show dishonor and disrespect to the man that you're married to? How dare you? 
How dare we? When we are to be like Him, tracing, remember from last week, tracing our lives. That's what an example is. Tracing our lives over His. Imperfect, but still legible. We can't make the letters perfect, but they're legible. And we're tracing. And He, in the same way, is tracing His life over ours. And saying, follow these patterns, even if you suffer. But if you abuse, all bets are off. You cannot abuse. And that's what He's getting at. Jesus gave up His glory so that we could live in this kind of freedom. To be submissive. To be, as a husband, gentle and kind and understanding. He gave up all of that so that we could have that power working away in our lives for us. And if you'll embrace it and start working on it now, it'll take you a lifetime, but it's worth it. Your marriage will, will look differently. Even if only one of you changes, it'll still look differently. Will you trust Him? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your kindness and Your mercy that endures forever. And uh, we know this is difficult. We pray that You'll have mercy on us. We've made lots of mistakes in our lives. And uh, for those of us that have been married a long time, some, some of those mistakes are very, very deep and, and hurtful. And I do pray, Holy Father, that by Your grace and kindness, You will help us to find a way to repair the damage through Your Holy Spirit, to get a fresh start, and to move forward. Please, help us do that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.